Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call to join Allworth's Money Matters. Call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Glad you are with us today as we're talking about financial matters. Both myself and my co-host here, we are both practicing financial advisors, uh, helping people like yourself throughout the week, broadcasting this program on the weekends. Yes. Although taping it, I don't know why we call it still taping, but we tape it midweek. Yes. In the studio. In the Allworth studio. Yes, in beautiful Folsom, California. That's correct. And uh, anyway. Made famous by um, Johnny Cash playing one concert here at the prison. Where was I? I was out of town somewhere a few weeks ago. I mean, in some of Folsom. Isn't that where that singer, the guy in black, the guy who always wears black, they couldn't remember his name. That's Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. He did. Wasn't there a prison there or something? I said, you have no idea how much the city of Folsom was capitalized on his three-hour stopover in <laughs> is. at the prison there is 40 uh, years ago early or whatever this, it was. Early this morning, I was bicycle riding on the Johnny Cash Trail. So if you're a listener somewhere in the United States, Folsom is a suburb of Sacramento. It's a beautiful little town. Yeah. Was was little at one point in time. Now a sprawling suburb. Uh, but That's right. It's along a river uh, 20 miles from where gold was discovered, 25 miles where gold was dis- first discovered in California. But um, Johnny Cash played at the Folsom Prison here, and now his name is... In fact, here in our uh, our office, not our studio, but we have office with lots of employees here. We have here. a Johnny Cash We have office. a Johnny Cash room. We do? Yes, this oh. is the conference room in the far back. <laughs> it's got... It's got does anyone ever use it? It's like, <laughs> a, it's like an oversized closet. Yeah, but it does say that Johnny Cash has got a... Johnny right. Cash... Anyway, let's anyway, move on to are, finance. Uh, yeah. We are off topic already, and we just got started. Yes. But At least there's energy. With the program? <laughs> so I did have someone say, uh, someone this last week said they, l- they enjoyed our program. He says, you know what? I, l- I like the fact you guys laugh because everything, uh, most financial programs are so serious and stodgy and all that stuff. Well, it is a pretty serious subject, but it doesn't. It's a highly serious subject because the implications it has in your life. It's not just, it's not like we're just talking about money. But you could be two things at once. I, well, I hope so. Right? You can be serious and then still enjoy it. But let's talk. Let's yeah. do this. So um, we anyway, we have a great program. Andy Stout's going to be joining us in just a little bit. He's our chief investment officer. Going to kind of talk about uh, what's happening currently with the economy and kind of what he sees going on in the next few weeks or months. Not that we're asking him to make, make predictions. because I always do. Almost every time he's on the show, I try to get him to actually make some sort of prediction. Well, it's like people ask me, Scott, where do you think the stock market's going? One of three directions. And I say, I might have an opinion, but my opinion's not going to have any any implication on how I'm going to build a portfolio. Yes. Because I might be wrong. Yes. <laughs> There's a good chance I'm wrong. Y- yes. It, 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 timing any market is very, very difficult. All you got to do, go back and look at headlines from other periods of times, financial publications. Before the financial crisis, go two years before the financial crisis. You see what most of the headlines were, how bullish everything was. You look, even in the early days of the lockdowns, with thing, I'm sure there are plenty of get your money out of the market now and all that stuff. You don't know. No one knows. But we do know it goes up more than it goes down. That's why it works. <laughs> and as long as we, we do need to have growing companies in order to have a profitable economy yeah and time in the market is more important than timing the mm. market <laughs> it is <laughs> it's that simple i think you learned that line the first week of training and 30 some <laughs> years ago might have. <laughs> by kyle meitzner <laughs> people don't fail to plan they people don't plan to fail they fail to plan that's right okay let's go on so <laughs> I came across this article, which I thought was pretty interesting, which is almost half of retirees want to go back to work, but it's not always about the money. And what I thought was interesting about it is it it, it really focused in on, you know, we do a workshop called The Art of Retirement. It talks about four things, right? Financial stability, health, people, and purpose. Yep. And the studies show that if you concentrate on those four things, that 
you were more likely than not going to be happy in retirement. And it's not necessarily stability of finances, it's having some confidence in your finances. So it's not the most amount of money, it's no. the fact that you have confidence that the money will do what you need it to do over time. That's right. A reasonable and, degree of confidence. And health is pretty much what it says, but people and purpose is why most people, 44% of retirees have turned to work or consider doing so. Why? 50% cite intellectual stimulation. And 36% say they're, they're wanting, um, they're wanting a, a more, a bigger feeling of purpose. So that they, they feel that they lack purpose without that. And, I have worked with hundreds of retirees and I have seen people do thousands. it. Thousands. I probably have actually. Over 30 Over, some years, particularly yes. if you want to count people, call the program and everything else. But Yeah, but me directly yep. interacting <clears throat> at one point in time, I had 335, yep. 350 clients myself that I dealt with on yes, an ongoing I. basis. As did you. And you see people do it brilliantly and you see people do it terribly. In fact, in our Art of Retirement workshop, I tell the story of a gentleman that I asked him to go back to work. And he wanted to know if his money was okay. And I said, it has nothing to do with money. And he went back to work and he loved it. Um, he went back to a work in a job where it wasn't as stressful. It's his old job, but he had lots of interaction with younger people. He was in his late 50s at the time he retired the first time. Lots of interaction with people in their 20s and early 30s. And didn't have all this responsibility at corporate America. And he did it for four or five years. And he said it was one of the best times in his working career. And where did he go to work? He went to work as to, at Target, of all places. And I said, I think that's a good place for you because it's hard to bring retail home with you, right? The store hours are – and I said, and, and limit yourself to 30 hours a week or 25 hours a week – they will push you for more, but you've got to stand firm. And he loved it. He said it was some of the best out of his 40-year career working. He said it was some of the most enjoyable. I think of a client of mine. He was 71 or 2. It was either Facebook or Google he worked. Um, he was through a contract, some sort of a contract he had with him. So it wasn't necessarily an employee, but he was there every day. And he was he was like the old sage, right? <laughs> I mean – there was no one even close to his age. They're all of his grandkids' age, practically. Um, but it was such a meaningful experience for him. He really enjoyed it, and the younger people really enjoyed working with him. He didn't maybe didn't quite understand some of the uh, the, the current technology, maybe even the social media appeal to the younger people. But he had a lot of wisdom in lots of other areas that was really valuable to. He probably to the brought workplace. a sense of calm over uh, the organization, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is one thing with age, right? Right. <laughs> My, 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 I've got a 16-year-old right now. Everything is so, like, it's so permanent in her mind. Like, whatever happens, this is how our life's going to be forever, right? Whether, if it's, whether it's good or bad. And, and the, long, the older you get, you've lived through enough cycles, like, whatever it is. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. It is interesting, though. We'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see over the next 10 to 20 years. Because but, we've been doing this industry a long time, Pat. You think about in the 90s, it was all about retiring as soon as you could. Yes. I don't know if you remember a lot of the ads. It was a great bull market for the stock market, and people wanted to retire early. It was a kind of a cool thing if you were 52 and retired. It, that shifted in large part, well, in part, because of the economy. We, um, but, but also, I think a lot of people are saying retirement might be great. And I think it's having, having the ability to quit working. Being in a position where you can you can quit if you want to quit. It's your call. You don't hear much about the FIRE movement anymore. Financial independence, retire early. You don't hear much about it at all. In fact, I read an article three weeks ago that said, basically the premise of the article was, we think FIRE is dead. That people actually... The whole concept of, I'm going to save as much as I can in my 20s and 30s so I can quit working and never work again. Like if you, if you're gonna retire from something, what are you retiring to, right? So if you're gonna be 40 years old and quit working, well then what? Is it just gonna be what do I do? Pure hedonistic pursuits? Because that's probably not gonna yeah. yield in much satisfaction in life. And the commercials always 
they show people on these luxurious islands and all this. How long can you sit on that little island? Scott, the reality is, look, out of all the clients that I worked with over the years, if you asked 50% of them, tell me truthfully, do you like to travel? 50% would, if you asked all of them, tell me truthfully, do you like to travel? 50% would say no, no, not at all. 25% would say, yeah, I'll drive somewhere or fly short distances. <laughs> and maybe only 15 to 20% would say, you know, I'm going to get on a plane to Europe or Asia or Africa. Anyway. Anyway, there's where we started. So, but, but it's not a failure to go back to work. Of course not. Well, I think some people view it as if I retire and then go back That's to a work a year later, then... I, I, obviously I failed I at retirement. I failed at retirement, yeah. and and people Look, will think it's money. If you want to be retired, money. that's fun, good, like whatever, right? Like, figure out what is valuable to you and important to you and your loved ones, and do that. Like whether that's in the workplace or not in the workplace, charities or not charities. I remember, uh, and we're going to talk to Andy Stout here in a moment, but I remember years ago at a client, she was a CEO of a three hundred employee company, two hundred employees, somewhere right in there. So, you know, medium sized company. Uh, pretty high pressure job. Uh, she wasn't, wasn't well, most of her life. She was single, never had children. And she would, of course, part, one of the things we would talk about when she'd come in about being ready for retirement. And so she was in kind of her annual review of looking at things. And so, and I said, well, I said, yeah, you can retire today. And so we talked about when do you want to retire? She says, I think two years from now. I said, okay. So we built up, we did her plan saying two years retirement. And I said, tell me this, Vicky. Her name wasn't Vicky, but we'll call her. Tell me this, Vicky. Today is your first day of retirement. What do the next several weeks look like for you? Like, what do you mean? Well, what are you going to be doing with your life? She sent me an email two weeks later and said, your questions haunted me. Good question, then. I realize I have a lot of work to do between now and retirement. This was a number of years ago. She's still not retired. It really, <laughs> she just couldn't redirect the energy. <laughs> Whatever. Right? right? It's her life. You, yeah. write, you write your own script. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Let's, um, by the way, if you want to be a caller to our program, we'd love to hear from you and help you with whatever you're dealing with. Maybe you want a second opinion or you're just uh, trying to figure out some planning issues. Uh, you can send us an email at questions at moneymatters.com or you can call 833-99-WORTH. We'll set up a time for you to join Scott Hanson and Pat McLean. Right now, let's talk with Andy Stout. He's the Chief Investment Officer of Allworth Financial. Andy, thanks for taking a little time out of your busy day. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So was it this last week, the last couple of days, the feds were hobnobbing in Jackson Hole? And I don't know if anything came out of that shindig thing. but yeah, There was some... Uh... Good photo ops. Yeah, but the so, Grand Tetons so what, in the background. What happened with that? It seemed to be ambiguous statements by uh, Jerome Powell. Well, I'm sure they got some fly fishing in. I mean, that was the whole reason that Jackson Hole was set up in 1981 when Volcker uh, did the first Jackson Hole symposium there. Really? But, How do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> How do you know that? <laughs> Isn't I don't know. I just thought everybody knew it. <laughs> no, okay, okay. Paul Volcker. That's why. That's why the Fed what? meeting went to Jackson Hole. Was Paul Volcker? Yeah, a big he wanted to do some. Yep, fly Fed, fishing. Fed chairman. Back in the high inflation days. Yes, those were real. And here we are days. again. That's just high plain, inflation. That is just plain funny. Maybe we ought to get Jerry out uh, fly fishing a little bit more. <laughs> okay. All right. So what what came out of that? Well, it is one of the probably the most important economic event of the year, uh, but it was really more of the same in terms of what Chair Powell was mouthpiecing for the rest of the Fed, where they were essentially saying, expect higher interest rates for longer, which is what they've been trumpeting all year long uh, and saying they will be prepared to hike interest rates more if they have to, if they can't get inflation under control. So from that perspective, markets weren't too pleased about it. However, there was also some other comments that were more encouraging, at least for investors, where he, uh, Chair Powell, did not rule out rate cuts in the future, and he did describe the drop in inflation as an encouraging. And when we look at where we are right now, in terms of what the market expects in terms of 
uh, rate hikes or rate cuts compared to where we were on Thursday of last week before Powell spoke. We're basically at the same spot. There's essentially a 50% chance that the Fed will hike one more time by 25 basis points or 0.25% by the end of the year. So basically nothing changed. And who who attends this uh, industry? Uh, Who attends the Jackson Hole deal? It's going to be the the members of the Federal Reserve and press. That's it? Yeah, pretty much. I'm sure there's some other people there, but it's really just intended to be for the uh, the Federal Reserve. And what was right now, what's the market pricing in as far as where it expects inflation to be a year from now and interest rates to be a year from now? Uh, well, in, in terms of inflation, if you're thinking about CPI, which is consumer inflation, really for all of next year, uh, about two and a half percent. So that's obviously materially that, lower than that, where that's we are what, now and where we have been. That's what the market is is predicting by next year. That's what economists are predicting. So if yeah. you look at the average economist forecast, it's right around 2.5% for CPI and for all of the year of 2024. We'll see how accurate they are, but that would be pretty <laughs> <laughs> Usually not too accurate. Just to give you a, a little bit of a you know, inside uh, baseball, I was looking at the economist average forecast for GDP, which is our gross domestic product, which is a measure of our nation's total output, essentially how much our economy is growing. And for the first quarter of this year, the first quarter in the second quarter of this year and the third quarter of this year, every single time, a few days before the quarter actually started, the average economist had a negative GDP growth rate expected. So where did we actually end up at? Well, 2% growth in the first quarter and 2.1% growth in the second quarter. So economists, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, right? right. So in terms of interest rates, which you were asking regarding the Fed funds rate, which is the the overnight rate banks can borrow at each other. I know that sounds esoteric and just kind of weird, uh, but really every other interest rate in the world is based on it. And that's what they control when when they say they're increasing rates or decreasing rates, right? Yeah, and effectively, that's also what they control when you think of the prime lending rate from your bank, because that's the rate that banks can lend to their you know, most uh, creditworthy borrowers. And that's mathematically, it's a formula. It's just the Fed funds rate plus three percentage points. So it, it does all tie together. Now, when we look at what the market's uh, expecting right now in terms of rate hikes, rate cuts, now remember, uh, we're at a 5.5% upper band as far as the Fed funds rate. And there's a 50% chance that they'll hike by their November 1st meeting. But when we look out to essentially this time next year, uh, the market's pricing in uh, almost uh, two to three rate cuts, quarter point rate cuts. So the market's expecting the Fed to really just uh, loosen the reins a little bit. And the market, you're looking at the contracts that are a year out, and that's what People can bid and bid the price on the contracts, and that's what it's all pointing to. It right? just seems so whipsaw to me. Well, and talk about economists being wrong. The the market has been wrong <laughs> multiple times already this year. Okay. I've been watching these interest rate probabilities. They've been pri- if you go back six months, they were pricing in rate cuts this year, haven't even been close to having a rate cut, and we're still talking about fifty percent chance of an, of another rate hike. So when you look at all this, it it really just makes you scratch your head and really want to say, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't rely on these so-called economists or what the market thinks. Well, to, so, to really that point, on the long run. To that point, Andy, I've always been baffled why um, large banks all have economists. Even some large corporations have economists. I guess a large corporate, you'd want someone to dig deep into your particular product or service line. All right, so yeah. let's put that one aside. Or currency hedges or... But but look at the large banks. They have their economists, and their economists come out and make these predictions on what they think is going to happen in the market. And I, for the life of me, don't understand what's the point. Well, I mean, I, I think the point to really pretty much anything that anybody does, that they can get some money off of it, right? <laughs> they're, they're selling something one way or another. And what they seem to be selling is inaccurate predictions what was the uh the famous <laughs> right. quote you can uh ec- economic forecasting exists to make a c- uh, cosmology uh, look credible so. 
Well, that's yeah. interesting. What, what do you think about the labor markets? I, I read an article this week about quiet, you know, that used to be quiet quitting, and this one said quiet firing. I saw that. Yeah, quiet firing. Oh, quiet by the firing. Way, you, you're no longer, you no longer have this job. Uh, we're going to see if we can find you within the company, but hold but, tight here for a bit. Yeah, you've got to apply for somewhere else in the company. But if you can't find one, you're going to have to leave. Yeah. Is that is is the labor market changing to the point that um, it's actually helping s- slow inflation? Yeah, there are cracks emerging in the labor market. I mean, you can look at many different uh, indicators from an overall standpoint. Unemployment rate still at three and a half percent, and that's still really close to a 50-year low. So overall, it's tight. But if you look under the hood a little bit, look where employers are adding jobs or not adding jobs in different industries. It suggests there are uh, some certainly some weakness on the horizon. For example, temporary help workers, uh, the number of jobs that's been added there has really been decreasing. And if you think about that, that's a leading indicator for the broad job economy, broad uh, labor market, because if you're an employer, who are you going to let go first? A temporary help worker? part-time worker or someone who is full-time. You're going to usually let go of the part-time workers first. Another red flag on the job market has been new trucking jobs. That's starting to decline as well because that moves and that does move before the broad economy. Again, because if you're selling a lot of things and you're placing a lot of orders, you're going to have a lot of transportation, a lot of freight moving, but now we're seeing less demand for uh, truckers. So that's a sign that there is some weakness uh, emerging from the job market. Which should put some downward pressure on inflation. Yes, that the whole absolutely, idea. Absolutely, absolutely. And then what about oil and I? I, I went to I, I try to get my gas at Costco if it's if I'm close to it, just because it's usually fifty cents a gallon cheaper or so. But it was the other day, I was, and I I was in Reno a couple last week, and I tried to get gas at the Costco in Reno, and the line. No, I tried there once before too. It stretched. Out into the street and probably... No, I'm not doing that. Yes. And my time's worth something, too. I did pay more. <laughs> so my, yeah, I'm not going to sit in, in this a massive line. But uh, there's one near our office, and there's usually... If you go in the morning, there's no line. You just pull right up. But anyway, my point is not... <laughs> not line. where you buy gas. <laughs> well, it is, I mentioned Costco because most people know it's like the cheapest gas you can get. But it's four ninety nine a gallon. So it's 5 bucks a gallon. Um... And I was just thinking, like, you know, fortunately, I could afford to fill up without, like, oh, crud, like, maybe I better stop at eight gallons or something. But there I know was that a time in your life. There was a time. Oh, yeah. There was a time in my life. And sometimes I see people that's still their time. Like, there's a lot of families still. I mean, it's a it's a meaningful impact on on family budgets. And so my I guess my question to you, Andy, is like. Like, what's the what impact is this having on families? The cost of of energy, particularly gasoline, and wh- where do we think this is going? Well, if we think talk about where we think you know gas prices are going, certainly have to think about the the Russia Ukraine war, and that really hasn't had the impact that a lot of people were were thinking that it would have. Oil right now, it's around $81 a barrel. A lot of that's due to, I would say, stockpiles following, falling, uh, where if you look at the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, that's the what, the what the government controls. They've really been biting into that to try to keep gas prices low. Uh, but at the same time, you're not really seeing any sort of friendly policies for the oil drillers, which is what it is. It's just the, the state of society that we live in. Now, when we think about how it's hurting consumers, yeah, I mean, you'll only have so much to spend. And there's a, a lot of data out there, some data, I should say, that shows that consumers may be starting to uh, you know, pinch their wallets a little bit more, uh, specifically the uh, amount of what's called revolving credit, which is basically credit cards, 80% of that's credit cards. For the first time since 2020, it actually fell. So it fell slightly, but nonetheless, it is still a move in that direction. Yeah. Consumers only have so much to spend. I mean, they've been the ones who have lifted the economy. They do represent uh, 70% of the overall U.S. economy. But if you got gas prices uh, you're rising, you got to take it from somewhere else. And where you would take it from is going to be those discretionary areas. So that's something yep. to keep an eye out. Yeah. Well, as always um... – I'm actually, uh, every time I talk to Andy, I feel stupid. 
<laughs> well, sometimes you got really useful useful information, and sometimes there's like the useless trivia, like Paul Volcker, <laughs> how funny. he ended up how they ended up going to Jackson Hole. By the way, well, we we can talk about missing the ten best days if you want. No, oh, right, okay. I think everyone knows that story. <laughs> But what about missing the ten worst at the same time? I don't I haven't seen that study. We right? don't we don't publish that. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> right, thank you, Andy. As and always, I, Andy was referring to the there are some uh, in our in the in our industry they yeah. publish these charts that show if you miss the ten best days in the market, this is what your return would be. And like, yeah, oh, okay, and <laughs> and what about if I miss the ten worst? <laughs> you know, like, no one knows that data. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Andy, for uh, taking some time. Hey, we're taking a quick break. When we come back, we'll take some calls. This is All Worth Money Matters. Can't get enough of All Worth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to All Worth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McLean. Talk with uh, Ron in California. Ron, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hi, long time listener. Okay. First time caller. Thank you. Glad you're part of the program. We wouldn't, by the way, we wouldn't be here without long time listeners. So thank you. What can we do for you? Uh, I have a total of four uh, annuities, and two of them are ready to be turned on next year. Uh, I'm age 72 and my wife is 67. And one of the, uh, let's see, on my Roth, I have a Roth that's greater than five years old. So my turning on, so turning on my annuity is not a problem. However, my wife has a Roth that's less than five years old. Uh, So I want to know if there's going to be a penalty on turning hers on. Okay, so let me just try to get a little more clarity here. Um, so when you fa- say they're ready to be turned on, you're, you're just, you basically want to start taking some income from these. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And you've got a Roth IRA that is invested with an annuity, and your wife has a Roth IRA that's invested with an annuity. Yes. Okay. And so- then what are the other two uh, annuities then? Are they IRAs for or are they uh, they're, TSAs? They're in the process of being turned – they're in the process of being converted to Roth IRAs. Why? Because I didn't want to pay taxes on the uh, on the uh, the distribution on the funds that they come back. Yeah, the distribution. Uh, how big are these uh, IRAs? So, the, so you've got two in a regular IRAs. How big so are the those? Fact that, so the, just the, the fact that they're invested in annuities is irrelevant to any tax consequences. So let's. Correct. Because we have retirement account umbrellas over them. So we've got the IRA umbrella and the Roth IRA umbrella. So we're going to unwrap this two different ways, right? We're going to unwrap the Roth IRAs versus the regular IRAs and how you should be taking distributions from those. And then we're going to unwrap whether you really need an annuity inside that or don't need an annuity inside that. So tell me how much money is in your name in your Roth IRA, Ron. In my Roth IRA, yeah. in my Roth yes. annuities, or my Roth IRAs. Well, the annuity is inside of an IRA, is it not? Yeah. Well, okay. it's un- it's inside. Mine is in. Well, they're both inside of a Roth IRA. Okay. So th- what I want to know is your name that's on that Roth IRA. How much money is inside of it? Okay, uh, seven hundred thirty-nine thousand dollars. Okay, and you. You converted that five years ago to a Roth. You, yes. You also have a regular IRA in your name. How much money is inside that? That one has 440000 Okay. And you said you were in the process right now of converting that to a Roth IRA, correct? Uh, the uh, the four forty. The four forty, the four forty. Yeah, we're in the process of okay. converting those to a Roth. I, I want you to stop that. Just flat. Well, up. Let's let's get the rest of the information. Uh, I know what the answer is <laughs> going to be, but we we want you to to. Okay, so your wife has a Roth IRA. Yes. And how much is in hers? 
that one probably has about $70,000. Okay. And then her regular IRA, how much is in that? That's the 440000 Okay. You know, all of mine has been converted to Roth. Okay. Thank you. So we've got $440,000 in her you IRA. You have three separate retirement accounts or four separate retirement accounts? Because we got your Roth, her Roth, and her traditional. Yes. And do you have any traditional in your name? No. Okay. Or do you have another annuity that's not well, we a have retirement a account? We have a total of four annuities, but all of my annuities are already under a Roth. Okay. And you have two Roths annuities? Yes. Okay. Thank okay, you. Thank, thank you. you. I was just thank wondering because it all you, makes a difference you. to okay, planet. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we're now what, other, what income do you have coming in? Social Security, pension, that sort of thing. My total income is from Social Security and uh, PERS retirement. And, and how much? It's a total of, and it's a net of $12,550. What's the gross? You know, I don't know. I don't have okay. the gross. Let's call we'll, 15. We'll, we're going to call 15 or 16. Yeah, so 16. We'll call it 16. K. And how much have you been converting on an annual basis? Uh, for the last four years, we've been converting about 190000 And who told you to do this? Well, the uh, the income tax was so low that uh, we decided to do it now, and it was our advisor. And so, basically, um, you were been doing converting, keeping things in a twenty four percent federal tax bracket, because the way the tax brackets go, they're highly progressive, and yes. so you could have about almost three hundred ninety thousand dollars of gross income. And still be in a federal tax bracket of twenty four percent. Yes. And above that, it goes to thirty two percent. So you're right. you've been converting, keeping it right at that level. Yes. I don't but, see any value in. Uh, but now you're take now you, you want to take, take money this, from your Roth. Yeah. Why, why would you take money from your Roth now? Why Why not just take money from your regular IRA? Why would uh, wh wh I don't understand the purpose of actually converting this last bit over. Are you spending them when you take the money out of the IRAs? Do you plan on spending it? No, we've been living off of our uh, retirement. We haven't spent any of our uh, retirement. So uh, why funds. why do you want to turn these on? Well, at age at age seventy two, I have to start turning stuff on. Not your Roths. No, not my Roths, but the ones that are IRAs. Yeah, I wouldn't. Well, it's just one IRA. Your wife, she's sixty-seven, right? Yes. Yeah. So you don't have, but you don't have any money in a regular IRA. Only your wife does. Your right. wife's years away. But the pro well, I have a problem with. I figure I've only got about twenty more years, so you know I want to deplete as much of that annuity as I can. Why? Maybe Why? that's the wrong thought. <laughs> Why? What do you have in the bank? Uh, in cash savings, I have 92,000, uh, in my brokerage account, I have 760,200. I would not take one dime from that Roth. Those, if I were in your shoes, yeah, you're going to die with Roth IRA. I probably, you're going to die or with it'd be the last account I tapped. He's going to die with them. He doesn't uh, spend what he's ma making now, Scott. Just because the tax benefits are so good. It grows tax deferred, comes out tax free. Yeah, you don't. Uh, you, I mean, if you take that money out, then you, you go invest it in your brokerage account. Let's say you invested in an S and P five hundred fund. It's got dividends that kick off each year. There's, there's a capital gains. There's yes, maybe there'll be a step up basis if you hold it to your death. That's subject to change, I suppose. But but there's you. You shouldn't be thinking about taking any money out of anything, or converting any more money into a Roth. Okay, that's good to know. I would not, if I were in your situation, and I've had my spouse, the only money in traditional IRAs left is $440,000 for my 67-year-old wife that we don't have to worry about distribution for another, what, six years or so? Yeah. Okay. And now, why do you own the annuity? So that, we've solved that question. So I said we're going to take this in two parts. Why annuities and what kind of annuities are they? Uh, they're fixed uh, indexed annuities. And, you know, I bought them about nine years ago, 
in a period of weakness. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> I wouldn't. But, but That's hilarious. So, so you don't have to keep them in the. It, I s- assume well, the surrender charge is probably up or close to being up on them. Yes, another year and they'll be up. Okay. If you were to, if you were to do the, live this, first of all, if look if the, in a period of weakness, w- did you buy these or were you sold these? Uh, I guess I was sold them. Have you? Yeah. Let me I, ask you this: on, when you convert, to, when you've been converting to a Roth, have you had to pay any surrender charges to do that? No. Okay, that makes me feel a little it bit better about this advisor. Converts to a Roth. What's that? It just converts to a Roth. And you were paying the taxes with money outside of the IRA. Right. Okay. So, um, this has been some... And how did you get... How have you been able to take so much out of these annuities without paying a surrender charge on them to convert to a Roth? He didn't. He just converted the Roth and then paid the taxes uh, with the money that he had in his brokerage account or cash. Correct. And the insurance company enabled... So, did the Roth IRAs have any surrender charges on them or just one year? They just retitled the... Right? No? It just got retitled from a, a an IRA to a Roth IRA. Okay, so the, sur- the surrender charge on your Roth is only one year, just like on the traditional IRA. Is that right? Yes. You're sure? I've only got one more year of surrender charges, then it'll be 10 years. So... After next year, I'll have had it for 10 years, so there's no surrender charges. Anymore. Why do you have two uh, Roth IRAs in, in your IRA versus one? Because we're still uh, converting the last one for my wife. That didn't answer the question. But your, your IRA, you told us earlier in the conversation you have two Roth IRAs inside of your— We're just trying to get some clarity here. Yeah, you you said you have two annuities inside your Roth IRA. Yes. Why? my wife also has two. Yeah, but she— Well, we bought bought it at separate times. Okay. We bought bought two of them uh, about nine or ten years ago, and then we bought two more about three years ago. Okay, so the ones that are bought two, three years ago, are there, there must be surrender charges more than just one year. Yes, but we're not, we're not doing anything with those Understand. other than converting them. You're, well, we hope you're not converting any more. I, I got I to tell you, Ron, I asked the question, were you bought, did you buy these or were these sold? And you they said were sold, they, uh, they were sold to you, right? And you said yeah. you did it in a in a period of weakness about nine years ago. Here's yeah. here's the reality of the situation. Y- you were not well served by that decision. And, and the reason being is, you know, if you listen to the beginning of the show, we talked about time in the market. And this is a perfect example where you weren't going to touch this money for years and years and years. And a financial plan would have told us that. In fact, my guess is that you will live most of your life and will probably not spend the bulk of this money. You haven't okay. spent it. You've got big pensions and big social security coming in. I assume your home is paid for. I assume there's no consumer debt. Would those be fair statements? Right. That's correct. Okay. So you said at the time, you know, well, by the way, Ron, you've, you're in a great financial shape. You're fine. Yeah, you've done a lot of good things. So but we're not trying to beat you up here. Yeah, we're, just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're trying to help. You could have buried this money and you'd be fine. <laughs> you really okay. could have. I mean, you could have put Unless it in. Unless the gophers got away with it. So the, I think you should step back for a minute um, and think about when these surrender charges come off that you actually need to go back to build a well-balanced portfolio that will serve you well at a much lower cost. And I wouldn't talk to the person who sold you these equity index annuities. Not even. And the reason is, although the index equity index annuities appear to be free, they are far from free. because Just because you don't see the charge doesn't mean the charge. The internal expenses are a tremendous drag on your return. And you could you could manage this money at all prob- the weird caps they have. And like in 2022, when it was a massive year for the stock market, your your account went up fine, but not nearly like it would have if it was in the market. So I, I think that you need to kind of step back. Um, and and I question whether um, this Roth conversion was probably. I think it was probably overboard. Um, 
um, significantly overboard. I, I probably would have discouraged that sort of a, and the fact that you're still in the process, I would stop all that. I would just say, just stop it. Um, I've never seen anyone convert this much money from an IRA to a Roth IRA in such a relatively short period of time. Well, and such a oh, huge percent of the retirement account. and a huge percent of the, of the, of the retirement. It costs quite a bit on my personal savings, but you know, I, I was able to do it. Oh, I understand. I, I mean, you, 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 like I said, at the very beginning, you're fine. You, you, this didn't affect your lifestyle, but it, you could have been a, better steward of this money. So my recommendation is actually go get a real qualified advisor, not a salesperson. You have a salesperson. They earned a fat commission, probably like an eight or 10% commission when they sold you that product. And you, you don't need that. You need financial advice. Someone that's going to hold your hand through up markets and down markets. They're going to get paid a small fee on an annual basis based on the size of your account. That is a fee-based fiduciary. You don't have a fiduciary advisor. You have someone that calls themselves an advisor that is a commission salesperson. Okay. But Thank you. So when that Roth, when that surrender charge comes out, you should expect that you're going to rebalance that into a low-cost portfolio and don't do another dime of conversion. And don't worry about converting your wife's 440 thousand dollars who manages your brokerage account uh well that one's under myself i i manage it myself it's okay. under schwab okay you, you should look for tax efficiency in that as well and i don't know if you're getting that from schwab or not but it's a significant amount of money that you should make sure is uh distributing as little capital gains and in, in income as possible when That's i say little it doesn't sound my, uh, it doesn't sound okay. right, but what I'm saying is that if you manage the money tax efficiently, you could still have growth without having to pay a big tax bill every year. Oh, okay. All right, Ron. Appreciate the right. call. We wish you well. Thanks. All right. You know, it's it, in pads. I think Wait, like. But by the way, if I sounded a little harsh there, I to the rest of the listeners, I apologize. We were just trying to get the information out, and it was it it was a little difficult. Yeah. And like the thing, <laughs> the thing about a new, like there's a place for annuities at times. Okay. Because it's at its core, it's some sort of insurance and there's a place for insurance at times. Our, I think our beef with some of these annuity products out there um, are the way that they're sold and the way, the way they're sold, first of all, they can be sold by someone that has no experience in securities markets. They don't have to pass any securities tests. They don't have to know the difference between, they, I mean, they don't have to have a college degree. They don't, all you need is an insurance license. So you, you've got that, but it's not, it, it's not like getting your certified financial planner designation or even taking a securities exam, like a series seven or 65 or whatever there's out there. Right. So, You've got people out there that they might spend a week or two at training from the insurance company and the insurance company teaches them everything about the product, but they don't know all the rest of the solutions that exist in the marketplace. So like to protect your portfolio, there's a number of ways you can structure things. You can use some options. You can put a bunch in treasury bills and use options for a tiny bit, which is what the insurance company does to build this, right? That's all they do. <laughs> you, I mean, there's a, there's a variety of different things you could do. And I mean, like when, when someone's got a lot of pension income and they're not planning on, like they don't need the retirement savings for their current income. Some of it is just being able to counsel somebody and, and developing a plan and showing them in confidence levels mathematically, like you're going to be fine regardless of what happens and it gives people that confidence to take on, you know, the kind of investment portfolios that, that, that they don't know they should have, but they end up getting sold an equity index annuity because it seems like an easy solution. And the, oftentimes the, I'm not, the, these commissions could be 8%, 10%, 12%. And Scott, the, the, and the surrender charges are go forever. What really hurts the index annuities is the caps they put in the market participation as a percentage. It really hurts. And they ignore dividends. 
on the S and P five hundred. Yeah, you're not going to get S and P returns. You're not get some return linked, but you're nowhere near S and P returns. Not anywhere close. Yeah. So, and by the way, if you bought an annuity with a ten year surrender charge, you're probably going to be able to. If you just had a portfolio of S and P five hundred or any, ten years is a long time. Ten years is a long time. You're going to be able. You're going to weather. You can weather two, maybe three market cycles. Right. Ten years is a long time. There's a ten year surrender charge. Yeah, most marriages don't last that long. Oh my god. Okay. Let's continue on. We're talking with Anne. Anne, you're with Allworth Money Matters. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your show. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'll start with my question first and then give you my background. So I'm um, 60, 69, and I've been retired for seven years. And I had paid off my previous home a couple years prior to retirement. And then COVID sort of caused me to reevaluate things. And I made a big move to get closer to my adult children oh, nice. and their families in 2021. So I was able to sell my house for close to what I bought the next one for. And I was able to transfer the tax base because of Prop 19. Yeah. So I did need to take some of the proceeds from the first sale to put improvements into the the new home. Um, And so now I'm trying to map out a plan for you know, eventually paying off the mortgage. I did take a mortgage out. How much do you owe on it? Uh, so, well, right now I probably owe about 500000 and I have half of that still left over from the sale of the house. And so I'm looking at having oh, wait, to wait, close oh, oh, that. Okay, one second, home. one second. So yeah. you, you on the existing home, you have $500,000 mortgage on the house, correct? Mm, correct. And what's the interest rate on that? Okay. And then you had $250,000 from the proceeds of the last home that you did not roll over into this. So that is sitting in an account somewhere. Is that correct? Correct. That's sitting in an account. And how, and that 250, and where is it sitting? It's split between a money market fund and some of it's just in the bank right now, just to make sure I'm completely done with all the home improvements. Okay. You haven't any high yield CD or anything like that? Not, not yet. Okay. So I'm, I'm waiting to have this call. Thank okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is, this is brilliant. Okay. So keep, okay. keep telling us the rest okay. of the story. Okay. So that's mostly the question. And so I can give you my, my background financially. So you know what I'm working with. Yeah, please. So, yeah. So um, I actually decided to take social security at 69 this year instead of waiting. I figured I didn't need to do another year of spreadsheets. So between Social Security and a small pension, I have a, about 82000 coming in on, on fixed income is how I look at it. So that's right. my income. And then in my traditional IRA, I have $2.1 million. And in my Roth IRA, I have about 500000 And I have about hundred k in an emergency fund. So all of my IRAs, both my IRAs are in index funds. And the traditional IRA is about 40% stocks and the rest bonds and cash. And the Roth um, is 80% stocks because I kind of look at that as passing on to my kids. Like want, once they you want a job? The- <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You should be a third um, host with us. I know. Yeah, no. what, what did you do for I mean, the fact that – I mean. You want so the Roth they, to be much more aggressive because it's the last dollars you're going to spend, which is exactly well, well right. Because once, once they eliminated the stretch IRA after I retired, um, what's your question so for I us? Thought, Wait, what, what did you what is, did you do for a living? I was in healthcare administration. Oh, all right. Okay, were you in the finance side of it? No, I was kind of a combination of clinical and administration. Wow. It was a nebulous kind of. What job, do you but, What do you think? And what's your question for us then? Okay, so I just wanted to run my strategy by okay. you to close that gap with the kind of other 250000 I have to take out. So I don't have to do RMDs until 2027. Um, and so for the next four years, counting this year, I'll probably be in the lowest tax, tax bracket I will be for the rest of my life, right? So yeah. I thought rather than try to somehow pull out 250 over the next couple of years, just use the existing 250 I have sitting there to, to pay the mortgage as well as maybe 
pay down a little bit of the principal. And then once my RMDs kick in, it would probably take me another year, a couple of years. What's the rush to pay off your mortgage? You're not not putting a lump sum against that mortgage. That's what she was talking about, taking the savings. No, 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 I don't think so. So, No, 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 I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about making the mortgage payments with the 250 that's sitting there in a non-taxable account. Yes. And then if I want to pay a little extra principal every year, I could do that. Um, so it's, I like what yeah. – I, I wouldn't pay any extra principal at all. Okay. Um, okay. I Just because they're, they're spreading rates today. I, I would take that 250000 and you put it in a high-yield savings account or, or CD or okay. even a high-yield CD. I'd start taking distributions from my IRA right now. That or so would, convert would you, some to a Roth. Or convert well, some well, to yeah, a Roth. So, I've been doing small Roth conversions ever since I retired, you know, up to the top of the tax bracket. I tried not to go over 24. Um, so that was another question, you know, do I spend these next four years? I wouldn't years? go over 24 either. Yes. Yes. <laughs> doing more Roth conversions and worry less about the mortgage. Well, I wouldn't worry about the mortgage at all. Even yeah, a little. I hear you. I, would, I hear you. I, I think I, I under, and it's a different proposition to pay off the mortgage when you're still working. I've discovered that. I, well, I the idea is like, as much, get as much flexibility when you're retired. That's the whole concept. So we, we'd like to talk yeah. about getting your home paid off. That's just, so you got a lot of flexibility in retirement and you've got it. You've got plenty of assets. You have done a g- incredible job saving. So I think it was a very wise move that you moved you decide to move closer to family, even though you've got a large mortgage on your house. Yes. Uh, and yeah. so put that money in a high yield or even buy six month treasuries and roll them over. Uh, either start taking money from the IRA or do the Roth conversions on an ongoing basis. And if it's helpful, okay. like have money in an account that pays your mortgage payment. I think it's maybe like, cause you yeah. don't have the mortgage payments high for her cash flow. I understand, but she gets it intellectually, Scott. Yeah. You're perfect. Yeah. And- Perfect. Okay. Okay. Perfect. You're in great shape. You're. Uh, it's unbelievable. Well, <laughs> a lot of things feel unbelievable this day and age, but um, this is unbelievable good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope that's what you meant by that. <laughs> Life is a blessing, right? So, congrats. Yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy yeah. your family. Yeah, appreciate the you call. Oh, we're out of time. It's been great being here with you. This has been Scott Hanson, Pat McLean. All works money matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.